Thank you. Good morning. He is risen. Yeah, Jesus is alive. There is great hope in him. We have reason to worship this morning, don't we? Today we will dive into a passage that reveals the great hope we all have in the living and reigning Jesus. For thousands of years before Jesus came into the world, it was a dark place with only a glimmer of hope to come, the promised one. Jesus, however, came. The Son of God came to earth. He was born of a virgin. He was and is God incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us. He did what no human has ever done. He was perfectly righteous. He obeyed the law of God precisely and perfectly. He never sinned. His obedience to the Father took him all the way to the cross. It was there the perfect one became the one and only sacrifice for sin and the way for man to be reconciled with God. He was crucified on a cross. And while on the cross, the Father judged the Son for the sins of His people. Jesus was the atonement sacrifice for our sins. His cry before His final death was to telestai. It is finished. Then He died. He was placed in a grave. And a stone was rolled in front of the grave. Guards were stationed outside the tomb to watch it. But on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead. The grave could not hold him. He is alive forevermore. He appeared to more than 500 people, and of whom many of them have or testified about him, even to the point of sealing their testimony with their martyrdom. Jesus ascended to heaven, and one day he will return. Now, because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, there is great hope for everyone who repents and believes in him. That's the message, right? That's what it's all about. That's why we're here today. That's why we worship If you find, as we go through this passage today, that you don't have this hope, I beg you, on the behalf of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, be reconciled to God. I'll explain this request as we go through the passage. Turn to Christ is what he's saying. There is hope in this dark world, and his name is Jesus So, let's give a little background to this book as we drop into it. As we have been going through Matthew, we need to get a little bit of background so we can understand our passage. Paul wrote this book after a long trial with the Corinthian church. 
This is most likely his fourth letter he wrote to the church. Two of the letters we don't have. At the point Paul wrote this letter, things were better. Many in the church had turned to him and repented, and it appears that they had come to understand the error of their ways. So most of the church had repented, as we see in 2 Corinthians 7. However, there was a loud minority within the church that was questioning the Apostle Paul's authority as an apostle. So he writes this letter to humbly defend himself against the evil teachers. He writes calling the church to reject these false teachers and to trust in the Lord's grace in his life and their life. The section we're looking at today is in the middle of the Apostle Paul's defense of himself. Paul gives us a clear summary of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the middle of his defense. I covered a portion of the gospel found in verses 14 and 15 of chapter 5 on Friday night. This is the good news of the person and work of Jesus. This is the gospel that was the center of everything that the Apostle Paul did. The gospel was the motivation for Paul's life. The good news of Jesus is the motivation for every true believer. All of us who have turned from our sin and trusted in Him, we're here today because of that gospel, aren't we? We're here to worship Him because Christ Jesus died and rose from the dead to pay for our sins on behalf of us. And so we're here to worship, aren't we? Today, we're going to look at this amazing passage and see truths for all believers in Jesus. The sermon is all about the results of Jesus' work on the cross and the resurrection. Jesus died, Jesus was buried, Jesus rose from the dead. So what? We're going to see the so what today. How we live. Those who believe in Him, that we have died with Him, and we are raised with Him, and so therefore we have this whole new way of thinking, and a new life. We've been transformed, and we want to live for Him, and we want to exalt Him. This is what it's all about. It's the byproducts of Jesus' great work for us. But before we look at this, we need to look at who these truths apply directly to. These truths are not for every person. These truths are for all who are in Christ. All who are in Christ. Now you say, what in the world does it mean to be in Christ? Well, in this passage, if you look at our passage, look at verse 17. This concept of being in Christ is a main theme. If you look at verse 17, you see it. It's introduced there and then repeated in 19 and then again in 21. Look at it. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Look at verse 19. Namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Verse 21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. Where? In Christ. It's very, very important that this concept of being in Christ 
is crucial. The sphere of Christ's influence, that's where his domain of rulership is. This is Christ's realm of power influence. This is Christ's spiritual kingdom that's already established. It is our spiritual union with Christ. To illustrate this in Christ, there are really two possible spiritual realms for every single person to live in. There's really only two spiritual realms. Those who are in Christ and those who are in the world. You say, well, I feel like I'm in the world. Well, (laughs) you might be physically in the world, but are you in the world spiritually? Every person in here is in one of those two realms. You're either in Christ, in His spiritual domain, or you're in the world and in the domain of Satan and under His rulership. As 2 Corinthians 4 talks about, under blinded by the God of this world, Satan. You don't. You could be in that in that world, that sphere, that spiritual domain of darkness, and not even realize that you're in that domain. I want to kind of illustrate this and try to explain this because it's very important for you to understand these two concepts. It's not like being in this room. It would be really great if we could just everybody in this room's in Christ. I wish I could say that, or at your house. I wish I could say that everybody in my house is in Christ and not in the world. But it's not like this. It's not a spatial thing where you can just look around and say, everybody in this room is in Christ. We can't see it. It's a spiritual realm. It's a realm where Christ is rulership in one realm and then Satan's ruler in the other realm. Now, God is sovereign over both realms, But ultimately, there's the realm of those that are Christians in Christ and those that are outside and in the world. Look at this diagram. It'll kind of help you understand it a little bit. There's the in Christ realm. And then there's the in the world realm. These are the two realms. So when Paul's talking about this in 2 Corinthians 5, it's important for you to understand. He's talking about what? Those in Christ, in Christ's realm. Those that are in Christ are in Christ's realm. And those that are in the world are in Satan's realm. Again, God's overall, but these are the two realms, spiritual realms. In Christ's realm, there's the true believers, born-again believers. Those who know and enjoy Jesus. Those whose sins have been forgiven. Those who Jesus is their Lord and their Savior They walk with Him. They know Him. They abide in Him. The Spirit lives within them. They died with Christ, as 14 and 15 talk about, and they live with Christ. They're in Christ. Does everybody understand? They're in Christ. That side. It's so weird, because I'm looking at it up here, and you have the two spheres, and then you look, oh, it's backwards. Okay, so over here. Over here. In Christ, true believers, born again, that realm. Do you understand? Does everybody understand this? Now, in this room, we have several people that are in that realm over here. But there's no mark on your head. It's not how you dressed. 
It's not your ethnicity or your culture or anything like that. That doesn't determine whether you're in that realm or that realm. But these are the realms, the two realms. And it's divided, maybe even the households. Okay? Then there's the other realm. That's Satan's realm. Unbelievers are there. Dead in sin. They know God, but they reject Him, as Romans 1 says. They've come up with gods in their own mind. And even some of their gods might be named, guess who? Jesus. But they're not necessary. It's not the Jesus of the Bible. <coughs> so they know God, but they haven't submitted to God. They haven't submitted to Christ. They haven't embraced Christ. They're literally children of wrath, not submitted and committed to Christ. And the world and Satan's own, that's who they are. Do they think, that, do the people in the world think that they are under Satan's leadership? Oh, no, they don't think that. For 22 years, I was in this realm. 22 years of my life, I was in this realm. And if you would have said, do you worship and follow Satan? I would have said, no, you're crazy. I would have said, Jesus is the one that came. I knew my Bible stories. I went and celebrated on Resurrection Sunday. I did those things. But I was still in this realm over here. I was lost. I was in darkness. I hadn't really submitted to Christ. I hadn't been born again. I hadn't had a change of heart. So I had religion, but it was a false religion. It's a man-made religion. So to summarize, everyone in here is either in Christ or in the spiritual realm. And what we're going to talk about today is how do you get from one realm to the other realm? How do you get from in the world over into Christ? We're going to see it today in our passage. It's going to talk about it. And I want you to understand that nobody can get from this realm to this realm by anything that they do. You can't make yourself get from here to there. It's nothing that you're good at doing. If you're a good person, you can't kind of, okay, now I get to go over here because I'm now good. It does not work that way. It's a spiritual realm and it has to have a spiritual change. It has to have a spiritual Lord that changes you from one realm to the other. That's what this passage is all about. Those who are in Christ have been spiritually transformed by their Lord and Master who died and rose from the dead and is victorious and is King Jesus. So all of us who have truly turned from our sin and trusted in Christ are in new relationship with Christ and God. We are now in Christ. Now just for full disclosure, i got to admit to you, that just because we're in Christ doesn't mean that we're not still in this body of death that we carry around. Which, if you're here with some family members and you've seen them and they say they're Christians and then you see them not act like they should, you say, well, they sure don't look like they're in that spiritual realm. They're not always consistent. But do you see them repent? Do you see them own their sin? Do you see him saying, oh, I'm a sinner, I need a Savior? Do you see him apologizing? Do you see him saying, not making excuses for their sin? 
If they're that, then they're in Christ. If their hope is in Christ, not in themselves, then they're in Christ. Because we're not perfect, are we, believers? No, we're in this realm over here, but we sure don't always act like we're in that realm, do we? We sometimes act like we're over in this realm over here. But if we're in Christ, we are really different. You understand? That's what this passage talks about. So Paul explains in this passage that all of who turn from their sin and trust in Christ are in new relationship with God and Christ. We are in Christ. And he explains in this passage two main points concerning our union with Christ. I want you to see them. These two main aspects of our union with Christ are God's work in Christ. God's work in Christ. We're going to talk about God's work in Christ. What God did. What God has done or accomplished for His people in Christ. And then second, we're going to see the responsibility in Christ. Those who are in Christ, what we, God's people, Christ children or Christ followers, are responsible to do because we're in Christ. Okay, so these are the two main points. Two points, real easy. God's work in Christ and our responsibility in Christ. If we're a Christian, if we're truly in the realm of Christ. Let's look. We'll start with God's work in Christ. Paul describes three amazing truths God has accomplished for all those in Christ. Let's look at them. These truths explain what God has done for all of His own. How we've been transformed. How we've been changed. Let's look. First... The first work God has accomplished for us in Christ is He's transformed or transformed us in Christ. Or there has been a transformation in Christ. There's been a transformation in Christ. Look at verse 16. Therefore, therefore, now on from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know Him in this way no longer. What's what's the point? There's a transformation that happens when somebody's born again. A big transformation. It's a transformation of our thinking. We think different. What's the difference? Before Christ, we think think of everything in terms of what is in the world, in this physical world. We think of everything as what the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. We think of only the world. We think of fleshly things. We think of human relationships. We think of only on the level of what we can see as a whole. We saw value in people's accomplishments. We look at things and we say, that's a good man. That's a bad man. And that's a great man, or that's somebody to follow, or that's a hero, or way to go, this is good. We look at it, though, only in human terms. We only see things as what is good on human terms. And we look down on Jesus. For 22 years of my life, as a whole, I thought of Jesus as just what? Another man. He was just a man. He was a man like me. He was Jewish, yes, but he was a man. We saw him as just another man. But now, when we're in Christ, we 
have been transformed in our thinking. And therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know Him in this way no longer. In other words, look, what makes Bob and Jimmy two of my closest brothers? What makes Jimmy and Bob two of my closest brothers? It's not how good they are. It's not how they were raised. It's not anything like that. It's their relationship to Christ. I don't see it as whether they're a good person or they do something good for me or don't do good for me. I see them as what? Brothers in Christ. They're in Christ and the value is not in outward, external, fleshly things. I don't see that anymore. What matters is they love Christ and God's worked in them and God's worked in me and my thought process is completely transformed. So I don't see the world the same. I see it through who's submitted to Christ and who's not submitted to Christ. Who's in the realm of Christ and who's not in the realm of Christ. That's how we should view things. That's a total transformation. That is not how I thought before. And that's, how, that's not how believers thought before. But we think biblically about the world and our Lord. You know... It's very much like when you're watching the news. If you're a believer, if you're watching the news, you're watching the news and you're thinking, man, that's horrific. That's really bad what happened. And why did that bad person do those bad things to a good person? We can be fall into that trap of thinking that way. But, but ultimately, ultimately, often we're viewing it through that fleshly mindset still. We're interpreting it through... Fleshly things. These are good and bad people. How many good people are there in the world? There's none. There's none good peoples. Right? So we're watching the news. We should be saying, well, there's one sinner killing another sinner. Right? Say, well, maybe they're in the realm of Christ. Yeah, but if they die, they're out of that body and they're in glory. They're just rejoicing. Now, does that mean that we don't take that serious? No, that doesn't mean that we don't take it serious. But it transforms the way you think. You see the world differently. When you go to work and you're working with somebody that doesn't, isn't a believer, what are you thinking? You're going you're gonna to think when that boss says something mean to you, you're going to think what? Well, that makes sense. He's acting like I would act. He's doing exactly what I would do. Apart from what? Jesus. Apart from grace. Apart from being in the right realm. Now does that make me better that I'm in there? Doesn't that sound proud? It can sound prideful. I'm in the realm of Christ. But it's not. Because who does the transformation? God transforms. (laughs) I'm no different than the world apart from God. My thinking would be the same. I would be worse. It's God's act of transformation. You say, you're sitting out there, you're saying, well, I want to be in that realm. If you're saying that statement, I want to be in that realm, it's very likely the Spirit is already working on your heart. (laughs) 
cry out to him, say, save me, I want to be in that realm. And he says, anyone who is, comes to me, I will not turn them away. That's good news, isn't it? So I beg you, be reconciled to God. He transforms our thinking. Next, notice, he transforms the believer's nature. Transforms the believer's nature. Look at verse 17. This is shocking truth. Verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, in his realm, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now, I could, I could probably preach four sermons just on this one little verse. What is the point? The point is that when somebody becomes a believer and they change from one domain to the other domain, one realm to the other realm, there is real change. Now, do you understand what I mean by real change? If you polled even America today, how many people would say they believe in God or believe in Christ? In America, you would probably still get upwards of 60%, maybe more, that would say they believe in Christ. But the problem is that there's no real change. There's been no real transformation. There's a bunch of people that say, I'm a Christian, but it doesn't look like Christ is Lord of their heart. Now you say, well, Mike, you sound so harsh. You're being so harsh. There might be visitors here. Now, I want you to listen to me, visitors, if you're here, or even believers or people that profess to be believers that go to this church. I'm not saying this to judge you. I'm not saying this to think that I'm better than you. I'm not saying this because I'm trying to be mean. I'm saying this because I love you, and I want to offer hope to you. There's hope. His name is Jesus I hated who I was for 22 years. I hated that burden that came from sin. I hated that I could not enjoy and delight in God. I needed a transformation. I needed my nature, my heart to change. Because I delighted in things I shouldn't have delighted in. How many of you here who are believers would say, you delighted in what you shouldn't have been delighting in? Yes. But God, but God transformed our nature and He is a new creature. We're new creatures. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. This this passage means that we are who are in Christ, have been radically changed. We still have hangover from our old nature. It's still there. And all you that are are friends of us, that know us, you know us. Family members, you know us, don't you? That hangover is pretty bad. I still see it. But we are alive in Christ. As 5.15 talks about. We have a new heart, a new mind. We have a new allegiance. We are committed to Christ and the Spirit of God has regenerated our hearts. And He has given us a new desire. By the way, that's why we get baptized. 
We get baptized to do what? To show what's happened to us. To say, I'm new in Christ. I died to my old ways. I'm rise to newness of life. That's why baptism, by the way, comes after we're a believer. Why? Because it shows what's happened to me. It's a sign of what's happened. Been transformed. It's important to note. Who does the transforming work? He's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. The transformation happens by God. Again, who gets the credit for getting me into the realm of Christ? God does. Am I better than anybody else that might be in the other? No. It was Christ that transformed me. It says it. Look at the verse. Now, all these things are from God. Transformation happens from God. New thoughts from God. New heart from God. New creatures from God. So the transformation in Christ is further than explained with the next verse. This is where we find our second truth concerning those who are in Christ. Notice reconciliation to Christ. Or reconciliation to God in Christ. In verse 18 we see... God has reconciled His own to Himself, it says, from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ. Reconciliation. He reconciled us. What is that word, reconciliation? Reconciliation is this, I'll define it, is the act of restoring a broken relationship between two parties that are at enmity with each other. It's the act of whereby God restores the broken relationship between man and God. In this case, reconciliation is an act where God made a provision for His holy wrath against sinners. God made a provision for His holy wrath against sinners so that we could be reconciled to God. That enemies could become what? Friends, sons of Satan, that's who we were, children of wrath, can become what? Sons and daughters of God, adopted. That's a wild thought, isn't it? Reconciled to God. Restoration of a broken relationship. Notice the reconciliation in this. Again, is from God. (laughs) From God who reconciled us. It's God's work where? It's God's work through Christ. Look at it. I'm flying through these. God's work through Christ is what it says. So the reconciliation happened through Christ. Not through what we did. Through what Christ did. And third, God's work is without distinction. It says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. Does that mean that every single person in the world is reconciled to Christ and to God? No, it can't mean that. Because if it meant that, then there wouldn't be two realms anymore. There'd be only one realm, right? 
So what's he talking about? The context is talking about without distinction of the world. In other words, it's not just the Jews that were reconciled if they believed in the Messiah. It's also the Gentiles that are reconciled to God if they believe in Jesus. Do you understand? It's not based on our social status, whether we're rich or poor. It's not based on our ethnicities. It's not based on the people group that we're a part of. It's not based on what language we speak. It's not based on any of that. It's what? Through Christ. Everybody who has come through Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Through Christ. Reconciliation happens. The reconciliation in Christ is based completely then on the next truth, which we'll get to. But I want to show you this real quick. There's the in Christ realm, and then there's the Satan's realm, the in the world. And then there's the one true God who is triune. He's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? That's the one true God, as the Bible reveals. At this present time, God is at enmity with the world. What does that mean? That God is, the world rather, is under the judgment of God. As Jonathan Edwards called it, it's like the, the spider that is hanging over the barrel of fire. It's, it's ready to break at any time. And it could fall down and all of God's wrath would be poured out. That's how the world is. The world right now is blinded by the God of this world, Satan, and they're under the wrath of God. Okay? But something's happened. Reconciliation has happened with some that are in Christ. Those that are in Christ, those that are in Christ, it happened through Christ. Now you say, why do we make such a big deal about Resurrection Sunday and Good Friday? Well, because that's the place and the time when Christ reconciled us to our Father. It's through His work when Christ did what? Christ took the wrath that we deserve upon Himself. Y'all know the words, right? Remember on the cross, what did Jesus say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Was it because He had sinned? No, 21, verse 21 says he had known no sin. He did not sin. It wasn't because he sinned. Then why would the Father be judging the Son? Answer, my sin. My sin. All of those who would believe in Christ, God was judging His perfect Holy Son for our sin. Why? So that we could be reconciled to God and not under the wrath of God anymore. And we could move from this domain to that domain. Does everybody understand this? Give me some nods. Are you getting it? It's so important. You've got to understand this truth. And you say, well, believers, believers in the room, you're saying, well, yeah, I already know this truth. Well, you need to be told it again and again and again and again and again, don't you? We need it over and over and over again. Because 
How easy is it for us to somehow think that we're in this realm because of something we did? Or how easy is it for us to think that we're in this realm and we stay in this realm because of what we do? Isn't that true? We think that. But we don't stay in this realm because of something we do. We stay in this realm because of what Christ has done. Nothing more. It's His righteousness. His death. And that's exactly what Paul does at the end of this chapter. He says, okay, let me just give you the final reason why you're in Christ. And it is the reason. Verse 21. The righteousness in Christ. The righteousness in Christ. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Let's say it together. It's good, right? You ready? He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Great truth, isn't it? Every believer in the room probably loves this verse, don't you? It's a beautiful verse. It's a glorious verse. So what is righteousness of God? Righteousness, this is what God does all the time. Do you understand that? God always is righteous. God never sins. The perfect God has never even had an evil thought. He's perfectly righteous all the time. He always does what is morally and ethically right. Righteousness ultimately is God's final standard, by the way, of what is righteous. God says what is righteous. Because whatever God says is righteous is righteous. Because he's righteous. Deuteronomy says this. All God's ways are just or righteous. Thus, everything God does is righteous all the time. So, here's the question. Who in here does what is morally righteous all the time? Okay, nobody raised their hand. That's good. Not even any of the kids today. (laughs) That's really good. They're paying attention. No one in here is righteous. Especially if we compare ourselves to who? God. His righteousness. Who keeps God's standard of righteousness all the time? Righteousness all the time? None of us. So, who is righteous in this room? Trick question. There's a hand. I see that hand. I see another hand. And another and another and another. They're just popping up all over the place. Well, if you read the verse, it says, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Somebody's got to become the righteousness of God in Him. Somebody. But it depends on what realm you're in. Not what room you're in. Do you hear me? Romans 3.10 states, There is none righteous, not even one. But, 
God. If we have been born again, and are, we are then declared righteous with God in Christ. We aren't righteous by ourselves. We aren't, but we are right in Christ. We are righteous in Him. We are right before God. When God looks at us, He sees us as righteous. All who truly believe in Jesus are given Christ's righteousness. So God now sees us, believers, as true righteous. Truly righteous, just like what Jesus did. So let's look at this verse. This righteousness in Christ for all believers is what this verse explains. Look at it real quick. God made Jesus, God made Jesus to be sin. Notice, look. God made Jesus to be sin. He made him. God made him. God made Jesus to be sin. What does that mean? He made him. It's not that he sinned. It's that he took on our sin. All who believe in him, our sin was put on him by God. And then he judged the Son for us. God made the perfect one to be sin. It says, who knew no sin. Jesus had never sinned. Not one time. Because he was the incarnate God. But God made him who knew no sin. God made Jesus to be sin on our behalf is what it says. To be sin on our behalf. Oh, this is so important. How do I get from one realm to the other? Or that realm to this realm? How do I get from that realm to in Christ? Christ. It's all Jesus. It's what He did. It's what God did to the Son. Is why I can be in the realm. It's not because of what I do. It's because of what He did. I can be righteous in the eyes of God because of what Christ has done. Nothing else, only by what he did. Why? What was the purpose that he made him sin on our behalf? God made Jesus to be sin so that we could be righteousness in Christ. So that we could become the righteousness of God in him. So to summarize the verse, it's real simple. God made Christ the believer's sacrifice for sin. So that the believer could be righteous before God in Christ. Isn't that the greatest exchange ever? Isn't that great truth? This sinner can be right with God? (laughs) That's awesome, isn't it? So what did God do? He transformed my thinking. He transformed my heart. He reconciled me to God. He made me no longer at enmity with God, but a friend of God. He made me righteous in Christ. Man, is this not the most glorious truth? Was Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection important to you? Oh, yeah. Because all of that happens because Christ did it. He gets all the praise and worship today, doesn't he? So then finally... You say, well, you're already over, Mike. Well, it's Easter. Please give me that time. Paul describes what our responsibility is, and it's very simple. You can see it. Look at it. The responsibility. We have now a ministry of reconciliation. 
Everybody that is right with God. Everybody who has been born again. Everybody who is declared right by God. We now have this ministry. And what's our ministry? What's our service? To tell other people to what? Be reconciled in Christ. Turn to Him. Some of you in the room might be thinking, how did I get myself in this place? My, my friends, my neighbors, my relatives said, please come to church today. We really want you to come. It's, after all, it's Resurrection Sunday. Don't you want to come? They might have even called it Easter. And you say, come. Right? Why do we want you to come? Why do I pray that my dad is watching this, dad? And I asked him to watch today. I want him to be reconciled to God. I love my dad with everything in my heart. I want him to be reconciled to God. And your loved ones love you. They want you to be reconciled to God. And we're willing to risk you hating us forever to say something like that. Because we know the only thing that matters really in this world is being right with God. So friends, listen. Is there someone in this room that isn't right with God? You're carrying the burden of sin. You know you've sinned against a holy God and you know that if you were to die tonight, you would go to hell. I want you to listen. Be reconciled to God. Turn to Jesus. Cry out to God to save you. He sent his son in the world to die to pay for sin. If you will confess your sins, cry out to him, repent of your sins and trust him, your sins will be forgiven too and you will be transformed from one realm to the other. How many of you have somebody, you don't have to raise your hands, but somebody right now you know that does not know Christ? And you are afraid for them. You've been reconciled to God. Now you're a minister of reconciliation. You are ambassadors for Christ. Go tell people of the hope and the good news that's found in Jesus. That's what matters. Nothing else. Being right with him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Christ. Thank you for his victory over death and over sin, our sin. We worship you. And God, I... 
I know I sound like that old Southern Baptist pastor. It's popping up in me right now. But Lord, you know my heart. You know that I have a, a, an ache in my soul for anybody in this room that's not in Christ. And it is my, my plea to you, Father. My plea to you is that you will work in these people's hearts, that the Holy Spirit will work in their hearts to show them their sin and their need of a Savior. God, please, please save. We ask that you will work in their hearts and cause them to see their need of a Savior. Show them the glory of your Son, that he loves them and that he died for them and that there's hope in him and that it's not only about this world. Please, God, please just show them that. And Father, we pray that as ambassadors of you, that we will look like Christ. That we will repent of our sin regularly. That we will own our sin and will turn to you. Help us, Lord, to be holy and blameless, spotless ambassadors for you. By your grace, through faith in Jesus, our Savior and Lord. Help us now, Lord. Help us to go and proclaim this good news to the world. Help us to offer this hope to this dark place. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand and let's sing. By Jesus fair was pierced by thorns, by thorns.